0: pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. The advent Season is designed to help us celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, to remember that the Son of God, that God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Over the years, I've observed that nearly everyone loves Christmas in our culture. I mean, some people hate Christmas, I understand that, but nearly everyone loves Christmas, and it's a good thing to love. And everyone feels comfortable and safe with Christmas until you ask the question, who is the baby in the manger? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, The most expensive Christmas tree in the Guinness Book of World Records is a 45-foot-tall Christmas tree. Here here it is. Uh, It is worth $11 million. It's a very expensive Christmas tree. You may be wondering, how could that be worth $11 million? Well, it has 88 pounds of golden Christmas ornaments on the tree. And if you look at the tree, you'll see Rolex watches as Christmas ornaments all over the tree. So you add it all up, and it's worth $11 million. And our goal uh, this year as a church is to break that record. That's what building together is actually all about. I'm just joking about that. But the reason I bring this up is that this tree is in Dubai, a distinctly Muslim country. In the Muslim world, the greatest sin, one of the greatest sins you can commit, is to associate a human being with being God. It is a great sin. It is a blasphemy of blasphemies. And yet, they feel comfortable putting up the sign of Christmas in one of their most popular malls. Everybody is safe, feels safe and comfortable with Jesus until you define who he is. And so this morning, I, I want to help us think through that question. Who is the baby in the manger? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to help us think through this this question, I want to look at primarily just one verse, Galatians 4.4. There are three phrases in Galatians 4.4 that will help us think about who Christ is. Phrase number one is that God sent his son. When the time came to completion, God sent his son. Some think of the birth of Jesus as some random event in history, that there was a man named Jesus who was born in Israel, and that Jesus, he said some interesting things, did some inter- uh, interesting things, and from him came the Christian religion. That's how they explain the birth of Christianity. But the scriptures are clear that God planned to send his son before the foundation of the world, before time began, that God's eternal plan has always been to send his son into the world. This means that the birth of Jesus is not an, it's not an accident. It's not a random event. It's not a reaction from heaven. As if uh, human beings have messed things up so bad that God is left with only one option. Something he doesn't want to do. He wasn't planning on doing. But if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. That's not the story of Christmas. God's eternal plan, all the way back in eternity, eternity past, his plan has always been to send his son. So who is the baby in the manger? He is the Son of God. And the title, Son of God, establishes the deity of Christ. This is what Paul is doing in verse 4. He is establishing the deity of Christ. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus would make incredible statements about himself. They're just outrageous statements, but we can read right past them. We're familiar with these ideas, and so we just read right past them without considering how crazy some of these claims are if they're not true. Like in John 3.13. Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So if you were to sit down with Jesus 2,000 years ago and be like, Jesus, where are you really from? He'd say, heaven. I'm from heaven. When did you begin to exist? Uh, You began to exist. I began to exist. We began to exist in our mother's womb. But the existence of Jesus predates his birth he, he, he never began to exist he, he goes all the way he existed all the way in eternity past he is eternal and so he says i descended i descended from heaven i was born of one but I, do, I i descended from heaven and all throughout his ministry he claims to be the son of god john 5 18 this is why the jews began trying all the more to kill him not only was he breaking the sabbath But he he was even calling his own father, God his own father, making himself equal to God. In the Jewish worldview, to claim to be the son of God is to claim to be God, God in the flesh. This is why they killed him. This is why the Jewish people killed, put Jesus to death, because he committed blasphemy. He claimed to be God in in the flesh. And so when Paul says, God sent his son, he is establishing the deity of Jesus Christ, And if Jesus is not God, then there is nothing to celebrate about Christmas. If he's not God, there's nothing to celebrate. There is no joy to the world. He's just a man. And if just a man, then Jesus Christ is under sin. He cannot save himself nor anyone else. There is no good news regarding the birth of Jesus Christ because he is under the control of sin. But if Jesus is the Son of God, joy to the world. If he is the son of God, joy to the world. The Lord is come. God himself has come into our world to save us from our sins. So who is the baby in the manger? Who is it? He is the son of God. Phrase number two, born of a woman. Born of a woman. God sent his son, born of a woman. Now why does Paul use the phrase, born of a woman? This is a strange phrase. If you consider it, you wrestle with it. I mean, what other kinds of people are there? God sent his son born of a woman. That's, everyone's born of a woman. So what, what is he doing by using this phrase? Well, I think there are at least three reasons he uses the phrase born of a woman. First, born of a woman establishes the humanity of Jesus. Born of a woman establishes the humanity of Christ. We aren't to think of Jesus as the son of God appearing to be man. That's not the story of Christmas. In theory, if Jesus wanted to, He could have just showed up as a 25-year-old man. He could have had a pumping heart, blood pumping through his veins. He could have been genuinely human, but he would have only appeared to be a man. He wouldn't be human like us. The glory of Christmas is not Jesus appearing to be a man. The glory of Christmas is God becoming man. That God became a man, the eternal, self-existing all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God took on flesh and dwelt among us. This is an incredible truth. And when Jesus became a man, he did not hit the eject button on being God. He didn't stop being God and become a man. Rather, the glory of Christmas, I mean, this is a marvelous truth to ponder, that the Son of God took humanity into his deity. He added humanity into his deity, not mixing. He didn't mix the two natures, but fully God and fully man. Not part God, part man, but fully God and fully man. He took on flesh. And so when Paul says, born of a woman, he is establishing the humanity of Jesus. When he says, God sent his son. He's establishing his deity. Now, I think the second reason he uses the phrase born of a woman is that born of a woman means Jesus will be human forever. See, if he just popped into existence, if he he just showed up as a 25-year-old man, appeared to be a man, then he could just pop out of existence if he wanted to. But see, when Paul says he was born of a woman, it means he is genuinely a human. He's really a man. Not part man, not part God, not God appearing as a man, but fully God and fully man. Colossians 2.9. For the entire fullness of God's nature, think about that, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So envision Mary 24 weeks along with baby Jesus in her womb. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in that baby. It's, a, it's an incredible statement. The eternal creator and sustainer of everyone and everything is being created in the womb of Mary. And to be fully human means you don't stop being human. You know, when I was a kid, I used to think that when Jesus died and then he rose again, he rose again, leaving his humanity behind. And when he ascended into heaven, he left his humanity behind. That when Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, he took in humanity forever. Forever. Acts 17.31, because, this is how Paul describes Jesus, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. The man who was mocked and scorned, hated, rejected, and killed. That man rules the universe. A man rules the universe, and he will judge the world. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Uh, I think about this often in my life. Uh, I think think about how one day, I I would encourage you to think about this. One day, the, the resurrected, ruling, reigning Christ will hug me. He will hug me. And I will hug him. He has a body. And we can hang out. You, and you can look at him. And he'll look at you. And you can talk with him. The God man. It's an incredible truth. And our bodies will be like his body. His resurrection from the dead is the first fruits from the dead. That his body is His body that that you see in the New Testament, his resurrected body, is is just a picture of what our resurrected bodies will be like. It is marvelous to think one day we will have bodies that will be perfect like his forever, which means he has a body. He has a body. Reason number three, born of a woman. Why does he use the term born of a woman? Uh, Reason number three is that born of a woman means that Jesus did not skip all the hard parts of being human. He did not skip all the hard parts of being human, like being born. He was born. He was genuinely a man. I mean, sometimes uh, it would be easy to think, well, it would be nice if we could just skip, if people could just skip all the hard parts of being a human being, like just appear as a 25-year-old man. Your brain is fully developed at that at that point. I mean, just think about it. a lot of the pain and hardship you would avoid if you could just, you know everything that you know, and you just pop into reality at a 25-year-old Man, some of you wouldn't even exist at this point if that was the case. But see, he was born, and he went through the different stages of life. A video popped up on YouTube of a little boy uh, meeting his three-year-old sister for the first time. So they're in the hospital. This three-year-old little boy is meeting his sister for the first time. And I was thinking about just the humanity of Christ and Jesus being born and then growing up, and then this video pops up. So I'm just going to show it. Don't blink. It's very short. It's only a few seconds. But here's this little boy meeting his sister. Calling her big brother. What do you think? It's your sister, brother? she doesn't have any arms. <laughs> <laughs> um, she... <laughs> <Where's her? laughs> she doesn't have any arms. Mm-hmm not what I was expecting when I saw the video but it it made me think about how that's a that is a perfectly appropriate conclusion to reach as a three-year-old boy it's totally appropriate it's not like I mean everyone's laughing at in the video everyone's laughing at this little boy but if you keep watching the video (laughs) the boy's like no seriously where are the arms there are no arms on this little baby and that's totally appropriate he's he's three and then I thought I wonder what Jesus was like when he met his siblings for the first time. Little Jesus, because Mary had other kids. And Mary, Mary had babies. And just thinking about little Jesus meeting his brother or his sister, what a thought. And trying to figure out, okay, where are the arms here or whatever it is. Just trying to, what is, okay, this is a baby. It's incredible to think about. The guy, the God who rules the universe, developing as a little boy. The one who knows all things learned. The all-knowing one had to learn. The one who spoke the universe into being had to learn how to speak. Had to learn how to read. Had to learn how to write. Had to learn how to walk. Because he's a human. He's a human being. And when you consider that the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God planned the birth of his son in eternity past and all the details surrounding his life. I mean, just this is very clear in the scriptures. The all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God in eternity past planned the birth of his son and the surrounding details. And then you look at the details of the story. It should make our brains explode. We should marvel. What in the world? I mean, think about this, if you could pick where you would be born and what family you would be born into, would you pick Mary and Joseph, and would you pick to be raised in Nazareth, or born in Bethlehem, would you pick that? Mary and Joseph, they're poor, living in an obscure small town in Israel, no fame, no glory, no luxury, no reputation. And from the moment Jesus was conceived, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus' reputations were ruined or damaged for life. From the moment of conception, reputations flush him down the toilet. Why do I say that? Well, consider Luke 4, verse 22. So this is when Jesus begins his ministry. It says, They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Notice they do not say, Isn't this the son of God? What does that mean? It means that they didn't believe Mary's story. They didn't believe it. They married, or they believed that Joseph was the father of Jesus, which is perfectly rational because a virgin birth had never happened. Doesn't happen. So they say, Oh, this is, we know, okay, so this is Joseph's son, but Jesus wasn't Joseph's son, born of a virgin. And in that culture, to be born outside of wedlock or to be conceived outside of wedlock, whoo, the shame. The shame would have been incredible. Or consider later in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 8 as Jesus is communicating with the Jewish people about their need for faith in, in him, their need to, to repent and believe the truth. And Jesus is defeating all of their arguments and backing them into a corner, trying to help them come to repentance. And this is what it says, verse 39, our, our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did, but now You're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You're doing what your father does. Now look at their response. We should envision the Jewish people here, uh, they are backed into a corner. Jesus has destroyed all of their arguments. They're all gone. No arguments left. Backed into a corner. Now what do you say to Jesus? This is what they say. We weren't born of sexual immorality like you. That's the idea. We weren't born in sexual immorality like you, what does that mean? They never believed Mary's story. They never believed it. Virgin birth, yeah, right. They believed that Jesus was conceived out of wedlock. And that that reputation was developed from conception, from very early on in Mary's development. Now look at Jesus' response, verse 42. Jesus said, don't talk about mama that way, and killed all of them. That's not true. It's not a verse. But they're going after his mom over the conce- his conception. And they're, they're, going after, they're going after him, invalidating his ministry based on something that's not even true. This was his entire life from conception. You were born in immorality. Or think about Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth. And laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no guest room available for them. And so they have to travel from Nazareth up to Bethlehem, which would have taken days, miles and miles and miles. Mary's pregnant along with Joseph. Not, No, Joseph wasn't pregnant, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> she's with Joseph there. And Jesus was born in a cave or a barn or outside. No pregnant woman has ever said, I just want to give birth in a cave. That's what I, I want to be, I want to give birth next to a goat or outside or in a barn. Not part of your pushing plan as a pregnant lady. That's not what happens. And yet there was no place for him. No place for him from the very beginning. Or consider Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. Now, I love this detail in the story. The wise men come from the east. They travel far, from really far away. And they show up in Israel. And they go to King Herod, who's the king of the Jews at the time. And they ask, where's the real king? The, the new king. I mean that is, doesn't sound very wise to me, but that's what they do. For we saw his star at its rising... And have come to worship him. Then King Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he's disturbed. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders. Okay, think about this. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. So what happens? Herod wipes out all of the baby boys in an attempt to get Jesus. And because of this threat, Mary, Joseph, and newborn baby Jesus have to go to Egypt, a foreign country, until it's safe to return. Jesus was born into poverty. He was born into obscurity, into rejection. He was born into hostility, and that hostility ran all the way to the cross all the way to his death when they pulled out his beard and put a crown of thorns in his head and whipped him, ripping his back open, putting nails in his hands and his feet. He knew what it meant to be hated. I, I don't know if you ever feel like, man, just no one understands me. I feel so misunderstood. Do you ever feel that way? The Lord Jesus was misunderstood. I feel so sad, someone lied about me. No one's ever been lied about more than Jesus Christ. Man, people are not treating me fairly. No one's ever been more mistreated than Jesus Christ. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our challenges. He knows our pains. He knows our suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. To make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is our merciful and sympathetic high priest. So we can come to him. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be, to be mistreated. He knows what it's like to suffer. He's a human being. And then he says to make atonement for the sins of the people. And this is ultimately why he came. He came to die. The only person who's ever been born in the history of the world simply to die. He was born to die. He was born to carry the weight and the guilt of our sin on the cross. That he might offer people forgiveness of sins. But if Jesus remained in heaven, we couldn't kill him. He had to become a man in order to die. And so because of his great love for us, he came into the world. God sent his son into the world born of a woman. Fully God and fully man. Which leads to the third phrase, born under the law. Born under the law. When the time of completion came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. One of my kids asked me, Dad, why didn't Jesus just die when he was two days old? That's a good question. He's God. God in the flesh. He's sinless. Why didn't he just die at two days old? I mean, why didn't he die on the cross? He could have just, I mean, it would have been pretty quick, two days, and then he's dead, and then he could rise again from the the dead. Why did he wait 33 years? Well, I think this is the reason. The reason is that the Son of God became man to live our life and die our death. See, at two days old, he could have died our death. He could not have lived our life. Jesus became a man to live our life and die our death. We need Christ to be our substitute before God. We need Christ to carry our sin and our guilt and our judgment before God. We need Christ to die in our place. But we also need the righteousness of Christ. This is why he was born under the law. He was born under the law that he might redeem those under the law. In order for us to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, Christ first had to live a perfectly righteous life. He had to live our life on our behalf. We have ruined our own record, and so we need to be forgiven, but we also need the righteousness of Christ. And so, when you read the New Testament, and you see the obedience of Christ, doing what is right, loving his enemies, doing all that pleases the Father, we ought to think to ourselves, he's doing that for me. He's doing it for me. To to accomplish the righteous standards of God, to fulfill the righteousness of God's Law And so it is totally right to say, Christ is our forgiveness, and Christ is our righteousness, and we need both. This is why he was born under the law, to fulfill the law, to redeem those who are under the law, which is us. We cannot redeem ourselves, and so we need a Savior, and this is why Christ was born. When the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption As sons. And through the righteousness of Christ, we're going to talk more about this next week, but through the righteousness of Christ and through his death for us on the cross, God takes his enemies, that's us, apart from grace. He takes his enemies and he makes us his friends. Apart from Christ, we're slaves and he turns slaves into sons. He adopts us into his family that we might be called children of God. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus, could have, he could have taught us from heaven. We don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus is a good teacher. But we celebrate Christmas because the Savior has come. Christ, the Savior, has come. And so I want to ask you this morning, is Christ your Savior? Have you embraced Christ as Savior? Have you said, oh, I know that I'm sinful. I know I'm not kept the law of God. I cannot meet the requirements of God's holiness and righteousness by myself. I know I have sinned. I know I deserve death. I know I deserve hell, and I know I can't do anything to solve my problem. And so have you looked to Christ? Have you cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? You know, it's very common. I've said this before. It's very common for people to say Jesus needs to be both Lord and Savior. And so you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. And I understand I understand that. I have said that. I think there's truth in that. But I think what might be more accurate is to say this. It's to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over all. He is Lord. He's, he is the Lord. He is the King of kings. He rules the universe. He is in charge of all things. He is Lord of all. But he is not the Savior of all. He's not everyone's Savior. See, Christians are people who recognize Christ is Lord and they call out to him for salvation. They say, I can't save myself. Oh, God, will you save me? And see, when Christ is your savior, this is part of what makes Christmas carols beautiful. This is part of what makes singing beautiful. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. And I I hope when you think about Christ being born, I I hope your heart just says, Glory to the newborn king. I I hope it moves your soul to praise God when you think about Christ in the manger. What love is this? What grace is this? That God would become a man, that he might live my life and die my death, that I might become a son of God. Glory to the newborn king. Now, during this Christmas season, I want to challenge all of you, I've done this at all the services, so I'm, my hope is to challenge our whole church to consider one person that you can share this good news with. During the Christmas season, one person, who's one person or maybe one family that you or you and your family can pray for and tell. You can tell them what Christ has done for them. You can tell, tell them about the good news of the birth of Christ. I know that sharing the joy of the gospel I know it can be a little bit scary. And we can get insulated over the course of time. Uh, do you have any Christian friends? Or non-Christian friends, sorry. Hopefully you have a lot of Christian friends. But do you have any non-Christian friends? I-, I hope you have a number of non-Christian friends who don't, who don't know Christ. And so you sh- what I'm saying is that you should pray for them to come to know Christ and then, by the grace of God, tell them about Christ. And it's nerve-wracking. It can be a little bit scary. It can be a little bit awkward. It doesn't always go the way you want it to go. A couple weeks ago, someone came up to me and said, Dan, uh, very excited, Dan, I got to share the gospel with my coworker, with my friend. I said, that's great. Tell me about it. And I just, he said, I told him that going to church is not what makes you a Christian. He, and he said, I told him that he needs a circumcised heart. And I said, um, you told him that he needs a circumcised heart? <laughs> and he said, Dan, you told us we need circumcised hearts. And I said, don't put this on me, buddy. Like, this is... <laughs> This is your deal. Just don't put this on me. We do need circumcised hearts, but context is important here. And so I said, how did it go? <laughs> and he said, bad. <laughs> it, went, it went bad, but he said the conversation ended up going really well because we got into the, the heart. We started talking about the need for a new heart and how Christ gives us a new life. And my friend was scared, a little bit nervous. But what I've learned is that sharing Christ with people only increases our joy in Christ. Even if it's a little bit scary. And as a church, we have a choice to make. Historically, by the grace of God, we've been pretty good at telling people the good news. But we have a choice, and here's the choice. Here's the choice. I didn't come up with this. I don't know who said it. But we can either evangelize. Or fossilize. Those are our options. We will evangelize or we will fossilize. And I don't want to fossilize. Uh, In fact, the older I get and the older we get, the more we should tell the world about what Christ has done, not less. The longer we follow Christ, the less shame we should have. And see, built into the very nature of the Christmas story is Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. Christ the King. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want you to think, okay, we got this Christmas season. I mean, it's, how do you get, I don't recommend saying you need a circumcised heart to start the conversation. But you can, you can, you can bring up Christmas. Bring up Christmas and talk about Christmas. Christ. Talk about Christ. Just to close, I want you to consider these words. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So who, are you gonna, who will you tell? Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to step out in faith and tell about Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.